John's Gospel continuing through, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 31 today. John chapter 14, verse 15 and onwards to the end of the chapter. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Well, let us ask God to bless his word read and preached. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that we will give the due attention to the majesty of the words and that you will give to us the ability to receive them as we pray your disciples when they heard Christ speak these words, receive them, so may we and so may we live for your glory as they did. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, imagine uh, meeting me and I have these three sons and you say, oh, these are your three boys. And I say, yes, these are my three boys. And uh, I say, and one of them, he lives with me, uh, Thomas. And uh, I say, what about the other two? And I say, oh, I don't know. They're my sons, but they don't live with me. And the other two say, yes, we, we live with you. <laughs> we're there. And I go, oh, really? And they say, yeah, we're, we're there. And uh, I'm unaware of this fact. Um, that would be a very disturbing picture of a family life. Uh, maybe some kids are so uh, caught up with their video games. That might be a reality in some homes that you just see them when they uh, come into the kitchen with that grumpy voice, take food and walk back upstairs. Not in my house, mind you, but in some, I imagine this takes place. Uh, 
Some Christians actually would perhaps introduce God to others that way. The Holy Spirit lives in me while being utterly unaware of the fact that that is not technically the full picture. It is true, but as Christians we are to believe, and this will make a great deal of difference in your Christian life, that not only does the Holy Spirit live within you, but the Father dwells in you and the Son dwells in you, that the triune God dwells in you. And we have to be confronted with this question time and time again. How does being a Christian and believing in the Trinity affect the way you approach the Christian life? And that's, I think, a fair question given the emphasis of the Trinity on almost every aspect of our Christian living. Whether you take the Lord's Supper in a few moments where you are being presented with Christ, a table set by the Father, And the Spirit is promised so that you may not simply eat bread and wine, but feast upon Christ Himself. Whether you look at your baptism, which is a baptism into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whether you pray in the name of Jesus to the Father by the power of the Spirit. Whether you talk about your salvation, which you were chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world for sprinkling by His blood, that is Jesus Christ, and sealing by the Spirit. Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter 1, talks about salvation and mentions the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Salvation, prayer, communion with the Father in love, with Christ in grace, with fellowship in the Spirit. It is the doxology that we sing. It is the prayer we open with. The first hymn that we were able to sing this morning, that was a Trinitarian hymn. Come thou almighty King. And then you look through the Trinitarian way in which it unfolds. The question is, what makes you functionally different than those two individuals that sometimes knock on your door? I mean, we may debate the Jehovah's Witnesses and I can assure you, my eyes light up when I see that there are two people at my door. When there's one, they're selling me something. When there's two, I know I get a theological debate. And I go into my library and I pull out several of my books and I bring them and stack them in a pile and say, shall we go at it? Uh, That's why I got blacklisted many years ago living in Champlain Heights. You can go anywhere in Champlain Heights, but do not go to this individual's house. He's a madman. Yes, I believe in the Trinity. Now, you will see that this Trinitarian thrust of Scripture is actually presented to us here in this text. And uh, one of the great stories of the Holy Spirit's work is His work as a comforter. There's helper, counselor, we'll get to it a little bit later, but as a comforter. And what you find, lo and behold, that if the Holy Spirit is given to us to comfort, and if the Father and the Son also dwell in us, what would you expect their ministry to be? Now, Some of you don't read the Westminster Shorter Catechism on the back of your bulletin, do you? You take that for granted. You mainly want to see what the title of the sermon is. You mainly like to see if you're singing your favorite hymns. You mainly like to see if there's a wedding shower coming so you can have a nice party. But you don't go to the back, do you? You don't go and see that today's question is on the Trinity. There is one God in three persons. 
And if I didn't point that out, you'd still be living in ignorance, wouldn't you? Now, if there is one God and there are three persons and they share in the same essence and they are one in substance and power and glory, you would then assume that if the Holy Spirit's ministry is to comfort believers in their afflictions, in their trials, that the Father would likewise do the same and that the Son would likewise do the same. And so we read earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and lo and behold, in verse 3 you find Paul saying, Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Then in verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ, who is the Son of God, we share abundantly in comfort too. This is to say that God is given to you, not just simply as a theological truth that you can say, well, the uh, external works of the Trinity are undivided. I'm a good Augustinian. No, you can say that because God is for me, all of God is for me, and because God is three persons, if the Father comforts me, the Son will comfort me, the Spirit will comfort me, and He will be pleased to dwell in me. Now that's the Trinitarian basis for your Christian living, and you will see that this is manifested in the words before us. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Or you can keep on reading, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. So absolutely no question, the Spirit dwells in us. However, Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now what does He mean by that? What does He mean, I will come to you? It means, if you keep on reading, that He is going to come to us in the Spirit. So, verse 20, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Who's speaking here? It is the Son of God who is in us. We're told in Ephesians 3 that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in us? Yes. Romans 8, verse 9. But in 1 John, you'll also find that the God, the Father, dwells in us. And so in verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, that is the Son and the Father, will come to him and make our home with him. Who dwells in you? The Holy Spirit? Yes. But don't forget that if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, so does the Father and so does the Son. Now, there is this promise of another helper, and we'll focus in on that, as you saw in verse 16. And He, from the Father, will give you another helper. That word another is absolutely essential to understanding what the helper means. There's a word parakletos. It's used one other time in 1 John 2, verse 1. And in the context there, it speaks of Jesus Christ who is an advocate. And so people have to try and understand what is this 
parakletos. Who is this helper, this comforter, this paraclete that is with us? And one of the problems of theological interpretation is sometimes people take the Greek word, look it up in its ancient classical usage, and say, this is what it means. Not a very good way to do theology, by the way. People do this all the time. They say, sin is missing the mark. Can you imagine David writing Psalm 51 going, I've missed the mark. And then goes into, and but I'll be washed and all that. It's not missing the mark. It's a deicide. It's an attack upon trying to kill God when you sin. Sin is not missing the mark. Holiness is not just separateness. We talked about this in our Thursday Bible study. You guys can tune out for the next minute or two. But the rest of you, holiness means separateness, they say. Oh, so Isaiah sees the train of Christ's robe fill the temple and he's undone. And he has a sort of silence that overtakes him like what would happen to someone at a funeral. And he says, separate, separate, separate. No. God is holy. And what is His holiness but His wisdom and His power and His justice and His glory and His might? So when we see there is another helper, we're not just saying, well, there's another legal representative beside us. We're actually saying something far more than simply that. Another helper is another Christ. In other words, when Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper, He is saying, I'm going to give you another Christ. What I am going to be doing for you in heaven the manner of my ministry towards you in heaven will actually be executed on earth by the Spirit. Everything I say for you on your behalf, everything that I am in terms of my love and my wisdom and my grace, that ministry will be also fulfilled by the Spirit in your hearts. And so the Spirit is called a He. Verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. It's not a power. A lot of people just think of the Spirit as some power. It's going to make me do things and help me do things. No, He is a person. And He dwells in you. And He is a teacher. He is called the Spirit of Truth. He teaches His disciples. He will cause them to remember all of these things so that as the rest of the epistles and as John wrote this, it was the Holy Spirit who caused them to remember all of these things. He is a reminder in that sense because He is executing the will of Christ on earth by dwelling in our hearts. And so Christ's leaving is His coming. You see this in verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. Would it be better if Christ had simply remained on earth after His resurrection and lived with us? Or was it better for Him to ascend into the heavenly places? And one of the good things about the Bible is that it tells you the answer to those questions. So in John chapter 16, verse 7, He says, It is for your good that I am leaving. If I do not leave, the Helper will not come to you. So when Jesus leaves, He sends His Helper. His Helper. And the Spirit who helped Christ on earth, the Spirit who ministered to Christ on earth, the Spirit who gave Christ all of those groans towards His Father in His prayer life and who sustained Him is the same Spirit who now helps us and lives in us. If Christ had not left, the Spirit would not have come. And this helps us to understand, very importantly, 
what is the true work of the Holy Spirit. If you were to encapsulate what is the true work of the Holy Spirit, what would you say? The answer is very easy. John Calvin, by the way, was called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And uh, if you want to read the longest, largest, most in-depth books ever written on the Holy Spirit, it, it, as I'm proud to say, comes from the Reformed theological tradition. These things are mammoths. And why are they so big? Because when you understand the work of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden you realize you are learning entirely about the work of Christ. Now, J.I. Packer has a wonderful illustration of this, speaking of a, a building that's floodlit. And in one of his books, he says, when floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are placed so that you do not see them. In fact, you're not supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not have been because of the darkness. And as only Packer can write, and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief when you see it properly. Oh, that's just beautiful. Why can't people write like this? Well, I don't know. (laughs) To maximize the glory of a building, its dignity, maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief. In other words, when there is darkness upon something beautiful, there's an anxiety in that building, so to speak, because its glory is not being seen. But when the light is shone upon the glory of the building, there's a relief because its glory is now seen. And he says, this perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. The Holy Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulders, so to speak, this hidden floodlight over our shoulders as Christ stands in front of us. Take away that floodlight from behind us. You will not love Christ. You will not see Christ. You will not appreciate Christ. In fact, he adds... That the Spirit's message is never look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at Him, see His glory, listen to Him, hear His word, go to Him and have life, get to know Him and taste His gift of joy and peace. I've heard people say, I want to be in a church that's Spirit-filled church. And if I move around enough and go crazy enough, that might give you an inkling that I've got the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. No, I've heard this. Believe me. I've been all over the world. And I have tragic news for some, but amazing news for others. To the degree that Christ is preached and glorified, to the degree that you understand His person and work, that is the degree to which the Spirit is powerfully working in a church. Not to the degree that there's all sorts of crazy operations going on, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what Paul says, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And all that that means. 
And that's the work of the Spirit. Now notice in verse 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. And if the sentence were to end there, it might be a little bit tragic because sure, we'll get another helper, but notice He says, to be with you forever. To be with you forever. If the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son have taken up residence in you now and they dwell in you now, you can be sure that they will never leave you nor forsake you. They will be with you forever. And guess what that means then? It means that when you get to heaven, the work of the Spirit is not going to fundamentally change once you get to heaven. In fact, it's going to remain the same. He is going to be the floodlight behind you, as it were, shining upon the glory of Jesus Christ as you see Him face to face. That's what makes heaven heaven. That you finally get to see, unimpeded with your own eyes, the glory of Christ. And that will be affected by the Spirit. What is true now on earth in some small degree, compared to what will one day be the case, will be true in heaven forever and ever. Now there is something important because there seems to be a mark that distinguishes those who do possess the Spirit, do possess the Father, do possess the Son from those who do not. You see this in verse 15. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Love is absolute in the Christian life from God to us and from us to God. But love is understood as keeping the commandments. Notice in verse 21 to 23. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, with a little bit of an apology, but not much of one, I wish to tell you that this is called the locus classicus text for what is called the love of complacency. Now, if you want to know what the love of complacency is, uh, I've got some books recently handed down to me from a a fine gentleman in the church in my office, and you can uh, read them till your heart's content. But there is a distinction that has been made by our theologians to help us understand something very important about this verse. There is an unconditional love that we speak of, an unconditional love whereby God loved us before the foundation of the world, and He chose us to be holy. He didn't chose us because we were holy. Jesus died Jesus Christ died for the unrighteous, not for the righteous. He died to make us righteous. That's unconditional love, and we will always be the recipients of God's unconditional love. This is called His love of benevolence. But there's another type of love that helps us to understand that the Christian life is not static. In fact, it's a love that speaks of the communion we have with God. And this communion is something that can increase or decrease based upon whether we are living for God's glory according to His Word or not. So read again in light of what I've just told you about the conditional aspect of God's love in verse 21. And He, verse 21b, who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then it's reaffirmed in verse 23. If, there's the condition, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And what is the result of that? My Father will 
love Him. Does the Father already love His people? Yes, in a certain sense. But there's another sense in which as we keep the commandments of God, God manifests Himself to us in a more intimate way. And my Father will love Him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. If you don't insist upon this distinction, you're going to end up believing that we have to do certain things for God to come and dwell with us, which is not the case. God dwells with us, but as we keep God's commandments, as we grow in Christ's likeness, we are filled more and more with the powerful working of His Spirit. Instead of grieving the Spirit, we are walking in step with the Spirit. And there's actually an application of this. In 1 Peter 3.7, Peter says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Is this one of the commandments? Yes. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You say, what does this have to do with John 14, 21 and 23? Peter then says, you live in an understanding way with your wife so that your prayers may not be hindered. So if you don't live in an understanding way with your wife, what will happen to your prayers? They will be hindered. This is what he's talking about. As you keep God's commandments, God manifests Himself to you. And so it is true to say that while we are all equally justified, we are not all equally sanctified. We don't all equally walk closely with God. In fact, that's a distinction that is given to certain saints. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abraham walked with God. And if you keep God's commandments, you can walk with God. But then finally, I want you to notice one other thing about this section, and that is Christ's own love. In verse 30 to 31, he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world, Satan, who has entered into Judas, is coming. And I will be handed over to the chief priests and the religious leaders, and I will be crucified. However, he has no claim on me. He has nothing in me. In other words, Jesus has never done anything by which the devil can point and accuse him. Not one thing. He has no claim on me. Jesus has already testified that he has never sinned. He has already testified that he only speaks the words of the Father. He's already testified that he always does the things that are pleasing to the Father. And here again, just before he's about to be handed over, to a shambolic trial where he will be accused of all manner of sin, he is saying he has no claim on me. His disciples need to understand this. He is truly innocent. But I do, verse 31, as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What does the Father say to Jesus? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What is true of Jesus Christ becomes true of us. In John chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. It's the same thing He's saying in John chapter 14. Another chapter on. Keep the commandments of God, abide in His love. Jesus Himself had to keep the commandments of God to abide in His love. And what does that mean? What was God's commandment to Jesus? 
that he must lay down his life in John 10. This charge I have received from my Father. If Jesus wants to remain in the Father's love, he must lay down his life for you and me. That's why you're sitting here. You are sitting here because the Son of God loves the Father so much He is going to fulfill the will of the Father to the uttermost. And that meant laying down His life for you. If you love Me, says the Father to the Son, you will keep My commandments. And what are those commandments? That you lay down your life for sinners. And so Jesus speaks of His love for His Father. Now what can we say by way of conclusion? One of the great problems, I think, I think, I'm open to correction. Uh, About Tuesday, you can correct me, by the way. I'm very busy Monday. (laughs) But I think sometimes in the way we understand the commandments and the way they are done in the liturgy, sometimes you read the commandments every Sunday and you read the commandments and so on and so forth. I think we have completely missed, in some sense, the point of the commandments. They're commandments, but they're divorced from the inner reality of why it's important that you keep God's commandments. It's important you stay out of jail. I grant that. It's important you don't steal and kill and murder and and break all of these laws that are going to make your life miserable. It's important that you love your spouse and don't cheat on them because that causes all sorts of trouble. It's important that you put God first. Absolutely But you see what is being said here goes to even a far greater scale than just mere commandment keeping. No wonder Christians are always upset when we say, oh, we're going to do a series on the Ten Commandments and there's like a groan. Because it's divorced from this important reality that the keeping of God's commandments is the means by which God has said The Spirit will work powerfully in your life and communion with the Father in love will take place and fellowship with Jesus will take place in His grace that He has done for you. It is divorced from the triune God. But that's not what Christ is saying. Christ is saying, keep the commandments so that you may enjoy your fellowship with God. You groan at the commandments, you've either misunderstood the commandments or you're just a wicked person. And I'd like to think better of you. Keep Christ's word because Christ will manifest Himself to you. The Father will manifest Himself to you. The Spirit will manifest Himself to you. And you need to remember that as you walk out of these doors today, you are walking out of these doors as someone who is indwelt, not simply by the Spirit, but by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are a Trinitarian Christian. And everything about who you are, everything about your eternal existence is predicated upon that fact that the triune God lives in you and will be with you forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You that it is a wondrous thing that the triune God should dwell among His people and in His people and never forsake His people, but instead promise that You will be with us forever. Be with us forever, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.